0: Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions.
1: So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner.
0: Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's
1: just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it.
0: We hope you enjoy the show. Just don't touch my face.
1: Who this mother, who, this mother? who
0: this mother, Hi everyone and welcome to Honey & Coke. I'm Sareed Packer. This series is called Who Run The World? And we're celebrating women in food. Tonight, we have the great pleasure of speaking to Lisa Markwell. She is the editor of the food magazine in the Sunday Times. She then went to study in Leith's cookery school. The whole aspect of how you can make a life in food without actually ever kind of working in a professional kitchen, we found fascinating. Absolutely amazing character. Hope you enjoy the episode.
1: We have the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Lisa Markwell with us. Please give her a big hand. I mean, yeah. Lisa is probably one, not probably, is one of the most important people... In food today, if you're eating something, it's probably to do with... (laughs) I didn't cook it. (laughs) She probably didn't cook. She might have cooked it. She has the capacity of cooking it. But it's probably started somewhere she was involved in planting the seed in your head. She was editor of The Independent on Sunday for a long time. She's going to tell us about that. Uh, She is now the food editor of The Sunday Times and also of Code magazine. If there's one person that knows what's what in the world of food in the UK today, it's this lady here. Another big round of applause. Because why not? <laughs> why not? Can we have too much applause? We cannot. Not for you, Lisa. Then. Well, that's very <laughs> kind. How did you get to this world? How did you? Because you started in journalism, and very early on, you started at 16.
2: I wanted to be a journalist from 14. I knew immediately that's what I wanted to do. I don't know why. It just felt like it was what I wanted to do. I never really wanted to be a news reporter. I just somehow thought I'll just immerse myself. And uh, my school took a bit of a dim view of that. It was a girls' grammar school and everyone was going to university and I was like, not for me. No. So I left under a bit of a cloud at 16. Really? And uh, and then sort of stumbled through college for a couple of years and thought, this is not getting me where I want to be, which is working in journalism. So I just wrote to lots of people and got a job on a very unsuitable magazine called Country Life which is for very posh people, and I was the secretary. Um, and all the other secretaries sort of went home at the weekend to their mother and father's castles, and I went home to my little bedsit in Southfield. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like a fraud. But I was, you know, that was the first sort of foot in the door, I guess.
1: So you started in, in magazines, really? Yeah.
2: I started in magazines. I thought perhaps I wanted to work in fashion, was very quickly appraised of the fact that was a terrible idea and just sort of stumbled around a bit. I mean, in those days, you know, I'm very old, so this was sort of back in the day when you could sort of go from job to job quite easily. You just sort of went along. And when I was about 25, there was a new newspaper launching. It was the first time a newspaper launched for a long time, apart from the Daily Independent. And it was called The Sunday Correspondent. And it was set up by people who just wanted to do something different, to have a Sunday paper that wasn't The Times or The Observer. And they said, do you want to come and work? sort of in the features department. And I said, yes. And so this is the world of newspapers. Let's see, let's dip a toe. And after about six months, my boss, the features editor, this was in the days when you could smoke in the office, believe it or not. And she was pregnant and she was like, I can't work in this office. Everyone's drinking whiskey and smoking fags. It's just disgusting. It's unhealthy. And I was like, I'm in, you know, so she left and I just moved up. (laughs) And really <laughs> where's my fags I'm taking this show yeah. I've never smoked but I was like if that's what it takes <laughs> I'm prepared um, and just absolutely fell in love with it and it was just around that time it was around 1990 when really sort of lifestyle journalism didn't really exist like it does now in, in newspapers particularly you know the sort of colour supplements were really about reportage you know the idea of having a sort of big food section just wasn't really a thing
1: you know for us it's really hard to imagine but food journalism or, or writing about food was kind of good housekeeping and yeah it was not lifestyle no. it was not
2: there was a guy who had a, a column for a very short while just in newsprint in the sunday correspondent it was called nigel slater i don't know what ever happened to him but he yeah. was <laughs> yeah. he was some
1: there for people, a while some people just you know. don't i mean yeah. you know <laughs> some just don't make it
2: <laughs> that was a really interesting world because everybody there was there because they really believed in the project and um, it was very, very exciting. And I thought, this is it. I'm in newspapers. I'm working for this amazing company with a lot of real talent, Mick Brown, Ian Parker, you know, amazing people, Henry Porter.
1: This is like the heyday of, journal- yeah. of print journalism. It was so influential. Yeah. Just the, the sheer numbers of newspapers selling was it was. Yeah, immense. in those
2: days, yes. I mean, The Independent, which I then went on to work at the time, was selling millions and millions, not just yeah. the red tops, but quality papers as well people realised that actually what you wanted from a newspaper wasn't only news, you wanted to sort of find out about stuff on the weekend, you know, what your life's about, personal finance, travel. You know, it's not just about what has whoever the MP of the day... So, you know, it was a good time to, to be a sort of features journalist.
1: This is when, you know, you started to see more and more food going into those pages Yeah. and into the, the Lifestyle magazine. And is this something that you immediately...
2: Not really. I mean... I liked it. I liked cooking. I had a boyfriend who liked eating. And so and I sort of quickly learned to cook. Um, But at the time, um, I was sort of shifting around from here to there. And I ended up at the Daily Independent and I was editing the Saturday magazine. And there was a guy there who was the chief sub-editor, which is the person who fits all the copy on the page, um, called Alan Jenkins. Uh, he's he also vanished, yeah, I mean, kind of. I don't know. Yeah, yeah he's um, just um, editing his obscure, him. yeah, Observer
1: know. Food yeah. Monthly yeah. magazine that nobody reads. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, but the the food columnist at the time, and it was just when um, I think that beginning idea that chefs actually had really interesting information to impart, like you say, the good housekeeping sort of idea of of cookery was very much home cookery. It was really you know about those sort of home cooks and sort of baking. And newspapers started to see a different way. And so Simon Hopkinson, um, who's an amazing chef, if anyone's got his books, I mean, they are just genius. And he'd been at Bibendum and then stopped doing that. So he was writing for The Independent. Alan left to go and work for some obscure newspaper called The Observer. I mean, why? It's never going to
1: catch. catch.
2: So I sort of, um, for want of someone else doing the job, took over sort of looking after Simon Hopkinson. And that was just, that was it. He spoke so beautifully and eloquently about food he cared about the provenance of the ingredients you know he was meticulous about the recipe testing I was like this is great you know this it's is such a good writer yeah. as well he's like, such a passion and yeah. I want in I want I want more of that and so i suppose that was the beginning so then the restaurant critic of the independent on sunday where i would sort of shimmied over filed a review which was completely plagiarized and it was about an hour before the paper was going to well, the magazine really? was going to press and i was like <sighs> what am i going to do because i Googled it. I thought, no, he was very slapdash and he hadn't put in the opening hours of the restaurant or some such detail. So I Googled it and I was like, wait a second, that's like the same words. It was his own review, but he'd basically just sent me a review he'd written five years before. Yeah. Oh wow. So I fired him (laughs) and thought, well, now who's gonna do it? So I gave myself the job. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? You know, it was a But is this
1: this what I'm always (laughs) curious about? I mean, I think everyone has the kind of, you know, the restaurant critic dream that you say oh yeah you get to stuff your face in the best restaurants and everyone treats you like a king and you get paid for it but it, is that really a plum, such a plum job or is it like
2: I mean, I could say no. no. <laughs> it's, it, it, to do it well, and, and I would never pretend that I was up there with, you know, Adrian Gill, Marina, who I work with now. Um, you know, some of those people are just such beautiful. Pete Wells in the States, such amazing writers. Um, and it is their full-time I mean, actually, job. Because some it's some a, of
1: the best writers in journalism today, the, yeah. the restaurant. Yeah. Day, yeah,
2: they take it seriously. And it's, I mean, Marina would say, I'm, I'm telling you where to go and have dinner. You know, it's not magic, but it's done with such care and attention. You know, I did eat out in lots of amazing restaurants, some also terrible ones. And it was just like a dream come true. Having said all of that, now I've sort of been through a few cycles of life. I could never do it again. Really? Never. Because now I, I've worked in some kitchens and so even if the food is diabolical, you know, there's still people out the back washing the pots and trying to season the food. Yeah. And, you know, they're working really, really hard. It's their livelihood. And you just come in and say, oh, that's crap. You know, and the music's too loud or, you know, the fish was too salty and I just, I've lost my edge. Yeah. So,
1: well, you need, you need to have
2: a... Yeah, Marina's got a the edge now. Yeah. Hard. No, but in a way, Stony you horse. do... No, you, you do need...
1: <laughs> no, but you do, you do have to have quite thick skin but that said you know a lot of reviews that you would read would be positive reviews and then the horrible experience would just be kind of yeah I think not written about so much yeah
2: definitely I've been to lots of places where I thought well it's just it's not bad enough to be entertaining and it's not good enough to recommend to anyone so I'll just leave that one I think sometimes if it's somewhere that's really setting itself up to be amazing or it's charging a lot of money or it's trying to lure you in and it doesn't deliver then that's fair game
1: it's called Begging For It. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Mentioning like, your names.
1: Tell me, yeah. But uh, tell me a little bit about, because this is like really heady times in journalism, heady times in food. I imagine it to be quite a male-dominated macho world at that time and probably still is. How did you find it as a woman and, in, in, you know, trying to sort of carve a career in that mm. environment or carve
2: a path? I think I was very lucky that um, I never worked at papers which were particularly brutal. I did work at the Daily Mail. I had lost—I know—I'd lost—I'd lost lost my job on another paper and um, was casting around for something to do. And uh, they said, "Well, come in and just just give us ideas every morning. You don't even have to write them; just give us ideas." It was like great. And after about a couple of weeks, someone said, "We really think you should stop wearing trousers to work." And I was like, "Okay." I didn't realize it was the 1890s, not the 1990s. And then a couple of weeks after that, they said, "Um, "We love your ideas, but..." Can you stop suggesting ideas about black people? And I was like, okay, we're done. That was a brutal environment. And I realized that as a woman, you know, that's just about wearing a skirt and being a bit ditzy and no disrespect to people who work for the male because you know everybody's got to make their money and pay the rent. But I found it was not tolerable for me. So I was really lucky to find the independent for the independent to find me because there it was a little bit less of that sort of male idea. And also, you know, papers were changing. Yeah. So I think that idea of hard news, you know, being first there, like fag in the mouth, you know, bottle of whiskey going down to Scotland Yard and getting the scoop. That was sort of changing. This is
1: how I imagine it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, in my head, it's like that. It really was like that. And it probably still is like that sometimes, you know, the people who do go and sort of knock on doors and do, you know, that relentless, amazing investigative journalism. But people were starting to not get their news from newspapers. I mean, nobody wants news that was written about at 8 p.m., at nine o'clock the following morning, you know, the, the world has changed in those 12 hours. And so it became much more about the analysis and about lifestyle, yeah. as we would call it, which some people see as a bit of a derogatory word. But I think, you know, that is that is life. And so when I got into a position where I could sort of influence that, it was lucky that it was the time when the sort of perhaps older blokey section of the paper realised that actually what they were doing wasn't selling the papers. It was really important to have it. But what was selling the papers was, was the stuff about life, how, yeah. the way we live, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, I was told some fairly negative stuff, but I think you just say, well, it's my name over the door, so suck it up or go and work somewhere else.
1: So you find, actually, that having kind of a maybe different perspective and not coming from the ranks of, you know, the whiskey, drinking, fag smoking kind of allowed you to see things differently or to give that fresh perspective?
2: Definitely. I mean, I don't know if I saw it as, as a fresh perspective or, like, a woman's perspective. I just saw it as, like, a human perspective, so... I mean, I've talked about it a bit before, but famously when the um, ISIS were beheading all of the British aid worker was beheaded and it happened on a late on a Friday. So on Saturday for Sunday, we were like, how will we report this? And I said, well, I think it's really important we don't show any photographs. And all of the other papers were like, well, we're going to show the photographs. And because I tried to get everyone to do a sort of mass thing and the other papers, all of which were edited by men wouldn't agree so i said well i'm gonna do it and so we just blacked out the front page and you know i was like nobody needs to see a beheaded body to understand what that's like and we won a prize for it and i was you know really proud if i've never done anything else i feel like that was the right decision and i think the men who worked with me sort of that was a bit of a game changer it was like okay newspapers don't have to be a sledgehammer you know they can be a wedge
1: yeah and actually it's a very compassionate thing to do yeah. it's a very compassionate choice yeah I mean, Which we're all, not, we're it's all not humans. It's always the default for, yeah. for publication, any... Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast.
1: So you had a stellar career editing <laughs> The Independent, uh, won all the awards, it was a really important position in, in publishing, and then it stopped.
2: Yes, Then just when I... would So right, I I kind of understand how this works and being a woman editor is an amazing thing and I had my best ever fan letter was from someone saying, I bought the paper this week Uh, thank you so much, there were five women on the front page, all of them were fully dressed and none of them was the victim of a crime, thank you and I was like, (laughs) you know because it it was a woman in the arts and it was a woman politician, you know, it was just that just felt really natural to me, it's, you know, if you're looking for an expert, why don't you see if you can find a woman's voice so I was like, okay, got it, and then the independence closing down, I was like
1: but that's really not to be taken for granted today. No. You know, that th- there will be five women. It doesn't yeah. happen
2: very often. And, and still now there's very few women editors. You know, there's Kath Viner at The Guardian. I mean, that's about it in the sort of quality section. So I suppose I believe in, like, attraction, not promotion. So I think if you just show those things as normal, it will change things. And, it, yeah. you know, I think we were just sort of getting somewhere with that. And I don't know if we've got much further with it, but we certainly haven't gone back, which is probably a good thing. And it was, yeah, it was really hard when that came to an end because you sort of feel like I've, you know, I can I can influence things. This is exciting. Yeah. This is interesting. And then when it comes to an end, it's quite hard, you know, and no one wants to, no one cares what you think anymore. Yeah. It's it's, it's really brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but you kind of were at that crossroad and then you said, I'm going to clear the decks, I'm going to do... Yeah.
2: At first I was, I don't know what to do. Um, and I just stayed at home and, I mean, I cooked quite a lot, actually. I, I was, I, I I don't really know what to do. You know, I still have to keep eating. It's it's sort of, not to be melodramatic, but it's it's like a sort of bereavement. You know, you lose who you are. You know, you sort of, it feels like everyone's carrying on on the escalator and you've just stopped, you know. And, and so I just stayed at home and cooked and thought, well, I don't know what to do. I don't, you know, there's very few places to go. But the management had given us this small retraining budget so that people could learn how to code or, you know, learn German or do something. And I was like, well, I don't want to do any of those things. And I'm really old and, oh God, I'm just so tired. But... I really love cooking. So I decided to spend the money, put the money towards training to be a chef, which, as it turns out, was an amazing thing to do. But I didn't even know it at the time. I just thought, well, I just don't want to lose this budget that I've been given. (laughs) They're not going to give me the cash to go on holiday. So I have to use it for something and found myself at Leith's Food of School and Wine.
1: Which is such... um... Leith's
2: School of Food and Wine, not Food of
1: School and Wine. Food of School, yeah. Leeds.
2: Rearrange those words. We yeah, we'll <laughs> call it Leeds. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's such an amazing place. Yeah, They're so professional and you, you do yeah. learn to be a chef. Yeah. It's not kind of a
2: No, no, it's not. It's not a sort of ladies. Yeah. I think people think about Leeds. And in fact, a few chefs, going back to that macho thing, I, I did a few stages in restaurants and one of them was sort of full of quite sort of blokey blokes. And they were like, oh, you know, where are you? And I said, I'm at Leeds. And they're like, oh, you know, it was just like housewives learning to sort of make a Sunday roast or Victoria's Bunch. And I was like, No, it's not that at Expletive, expletive. It's really not. You know, it's it's really, really hard work. You're on your feet for eight hours a day. You're working, you know, you do all of your own washing up. You cook everything. Every single thing that you cook is scored. It's every stock, every sauce, every pastry, everything. Butchery, the lot.
1: Arriving there, how was your initial impressions? Like, did you say, like, what am I doing here? Or were you just so involved?
2: I had no clue what I was getting into, really. Still, like, the residual sort of, like, I'm heading this team and, you know, I know how to do this and this is what we're going to do in the paper and uh, you do this, you do this and and got there and, of course, it's not like that at all and, you know, they kind of break you down to make you back up if you're like me, you're not green. And, yeah, the first few months I struggled because I was like, well, I know how to make an omelette. I know how to, and you don't know how to do it properly. It's really good to go back to basics. I found it quite hard to accept that I was just student 51 and I had to do everything exactly the same as everyone else, but it was good for me. I think that was a really good thing to do.
1: Just sort of complete humbling and
2: Very humbling. Reconstruction. did have a few rows. I did, I did have a massive row with a student who did you? thought that I'd stolen her loaf of bread out of the oven. <gasps> which, like... let me tell you, at Leith's is like a big deal. <laughs> and, um, and for the record, is... I did not steal her loaf of bread.
1: Well, <laughs> but coming into this environment with your experience of working with, you know, Simon Hopkins, one of the top chefs in the country being a restaurant reviewer for, what, eight years mm. you, you were doing that? Probably eaten everywhere that's worth eating and knowing all, all the chefs that, that are worth knowing. This was really your first encounter with the other side.
2: Very much so, yeah. I did a few reviews while I was there. I was It was when A.A. Gill was ill and at the Sunday Times said, oh, would I like to cover him? And I was like, by that not point, not I was... stressful. <laughs> really not <laughs> stressful. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, only that. like two million people are going to read it and you've yeah. uh, forgotten how to write because your, your hands are like cut off all your fingertips with the you know, knife in school. And It was the beginning of that feeling of, I feel more on the side of the chefs than the side of the critics. I feel like I've crossed a line. It's got a lot of echoes with journalism, you know, that real sort of collegiate thing, like everyone's got their station and unless everybody's doing their thing from the KP up to the head chef. It's not going to happen. And same thing on a newspaper. You know, if the person who doesn't photocopy the pages so that you can read the proofs, she's not doing her thing, which is like the KP right up to the head chef on the pass, which is the editor. It's not going to happen. And so I just saw an echo. But, you know, instead of giving people, like, bad news, you know, you're giving them lovely good food. times. good yeah. times. You know, and so it, it, was, it was a lovely Rubicon to cross because, actually, it's a really beautiful thing when you feed people. It is very...
1: Gratifying work, and you're very much on the positive side of life, of you know, feeding people and <laughs> happiness and lovely things. But there is, of course, kitchens and cookery is also, you know, notoriously extremely hard work, mm-hmm. extremely macho, demanding. You know, physically, emotionally. Did you get to confront with these bits? As oh well?
2: yeah, working on a newspaper, all of those things as well. You know, I'd, I'd work until eleven o'clock on a Saturday night and just go home completely broken. And you know, my children were younger and the. You know, on Sunday, they'd, like, leap up, where are we going? And I'd like, oh, I just, want to, like, to just want to sleep for, like, another 24 hours. <laughs> and, and I think that's very much like being in a kitchen and and the sort of, the, again, that macho thing of, like, come on, come on, come on, you know, do it, do it, do it. No, it's not good enough, send it back. You know, again, lots of echoes. But, you know, I have heard bad stories about kitchens. I think that's absolutely true. And And sometimes it does cross into sort of being a bit abusive. And, again, it's a bit like newspapers. You sort of wonder why people don't just say, you know what, I've had enough, I'm off. But, you know, people do look after each other, perhaps in the sort of in the ranks, if you like, rather than the officer class. And, and, you know, there is a sort of joy in it.
1: I think, first of all, I think it's so interesting, the kind of finding the similarities between kitchens and journalism. I I didn't even think about that.
2: No, If I was still running a newspaper, I'd say, come in and be an intern for a while. And you'd see that it's very similar.
1: I would love that, actually. (laughs) I would love that. Get the Financial
2: Times to get you in there.
1: I I should. I should. I'm so curious about this. I
2: think it's only in familiarity because I felt exactly the same way about kitchens. You know, having done all of one life and then training and, you know, crying Mm. when the teacher threw my Swiss roll in the bin without trying it because it was so disgusting you know very Bake Off. <laughs> and I was like oh you know I've like interviewed David Cameron and now you know <laughs> and now I'm crying about over a Swiss, Swiss roll um yeah. <laughs> you know it is emotional and and both of the worlds are you know reaching out it's about connection it's about telling someone something which will inform them and you know whether it's a sort of tritus you know, what they're going to talk about at dinner party or whether it's something really important, like who to vote for or like to inform. It's an amazing thing to do. Such a privilege.
1: It is. So you've done Leeds. Then you had like, what was the idea? What were you going to do? (laughs) No
2: idea. I was going to write a book, which I'm still doing really slowly, about sort of what that's like to go from being a sort of home cook and a kind of person who likes eating and, you know, can sort of slap a few things together to being the person who can be like, sure, yeah, I can do that. You know. Did you
1: read uh, Bill Buford?
2: Yes, yeah. yes. That's which is really book. interesting reading that now because he spends a lot of time with Mario Batali, who yeah. obviously is hashtag me too, like yeah. oh, no one yeah. talks about him. But it was a really interesting book about immersing yourself in that yeah. world. And, and I absolutely loved it. I knew I wouldn't do it full time, but I just didn't want to let it go because like anything, you know, you, like a muscle, you know, you just want to sort of keep using it. and improving so and, Improving. Yeah. So I worked as a private chef for a while, which yeah. was quite terrible <laughs> it's,
1: it's a lot
2: it's really hard yeah. because also you're on your own you know
1: you are on your yeah. own and you are not very far from your customers
2: not very far from your customers in their home yeah it's really hard and yeah. they could be amazing i had a fantastic canadian family that i worked for for two weeks and 17 of them and that was my first job and i was like big okay. family yeah big family extended yeah. family that will come over to watch wimbledon and eat as far <laughs> as i could tell and your book was a trusted friend, let me tell you. That sort of whole like Middle Eastern-y kind of feasting thing, they didn't seem to have a lot of. Yeah. Um and so they were really thrilled and excited to sort of experience that kind of food and it worked really well for a big number and I was like this is amazing I could totally be a private chef it's great you know and they gave me a day off and they gave me a bonus and fantastic and then my next job the guy was completely terrible. Yeah. And I was like I'm never going to do this again and you know I like, I was earning less than a cleaner per hour I worked it out because I was so meticulous and I was like this is ridiculous you know.
1: Really I was do- I was doing private chefing for a year before we opened Honey & Co. And that was the richest I've ever been <laughs> in my life. What
2: I was made I doing? So wrong? much money. <laughs> you are very fast. It's, it doesn't, you
0: know, 20 years of shipping. Yeah. 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 You know. yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I was definitely too slow. I found that this year
1: has taught me so much. Yeah. Because you're
2: yeah, no, they're right. close they're, to your yeah. customer
1: and you yeah. know what people want to eat. Yeah. You can cook whatever you want, but if people want cookie dough. Yeah. You're gonna make cookie dough,
2: yeah. And also, as I discovered, Which I made a lot. Like know? no, no matter how much you sort of budget for, just make extra. Oh my god! Like the time I'd serve this beautiful sort of four-course dinner and just like piped the kind of pompuree puree perfectly, and it was all great. And squeezed the last bit into my mouth, and then someone came into the kitchen like, "We really want more of that palm puree." I was like, ah, you know. You so just hell. make yeah. more, make more, you yeah. know.
1: But this is, I think, such so informative for your next step which is mm. your first step
2: yeah which back, is going back to journalism yes i'd worked at the sunday times magazine in 1991 and had a really happy time there it, was a, it is a sort of legendary magazine they asked me to go back and be the food editor and you know i was like can i do this can i go to another sunday paper which was sort of my deadliest rival not so many years ago um and i thought well yes i can because like food is what i love and I sort of got to know a few chefs and got to really love reading a recipe and just sort of visualising it and for that to be a paying job without having to go into a kitchen, amazing. So I was really thrilled to do it, but I didn't want to do it full time. I sort of felt like I still needed a bit of sort of time to do other stuff, write the book which still hasn't been written and work for a, a company called Code which is for people who work in restaurants and so it was a lovely sort of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Sort of you learn about everything that's going on and who's moving and who's doing what and who's planning what restaurant and kind of what the trends are. And then you go to the other side, which is Sunday Times readers who are, you know, a little bit conservative. They sort of they don't necessarily want to know about the kind of edgy Taiwanese place in Dalston. You know, they would quite like to
1: have a good recipe for have a good recipe a cookie dough. So a lot of people, I'm sure this is what we do whenever we go to the Leeds class, we always say who. There's going to be a chef in a restaurant and then three people raise their
2: hand. (laughs) Out of 48. And then
1: we say who's going to have a lifestyle blog and everybody raises their hand. You probably get a lot of people asking you that want to have a career in food writing. What do you say to them?
2: It's a bit like being a travel writer. You know, everybody wants to do it. Um, It's the loveliest parts of of life. What I used to say to people when I was in general journalism in the papers was... You had school at 16. Leave school at 16. Don't bother with the university and all that rubbish, Um, which I actually still believe is, in fact, weirdly, I think even more now than, you know, 30 years ago. If you know what you want to do, just get into it. Like, I don't know that a university education, sorry for people who have just toiled through years and years of uni. Yeah,
1: and will pay the...
2: And will pay the debt forever. But, you know, there's something to be said for people who just sort of come in, you know, at the bottom. And I think if you've been to university and you're sort of in your you know, you're, you're beginning of your 20s, you're sort of probably, your expectation is a little more. And I used to have interns come in and I'd say, look, I'm really sorry, but, you know, can you just help me with something quite basic? And they'd say, well, when am I going to write a story for the front page? And it's like, you know, like give it yeah. five years, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, like any journalism, you know, have a, have an area of expertise, have whether it's a cuisine or whether it's, you know, something that you're really interested in, because I think whatever it is, I think people will always seek out experts. And if you've got something, something you're really interested in, or if you've spent, you know a month travelling around Japan or anything else. You know, that's something that is really interesting for other people to know about. You've got that bit of intel. I think just sort of saying I'd like to be a restaurant critic is really not going to fly. Yeah. I mean, there's an awful lot of digital journalism now. You know, those, those places will need people to write for them. But I would just p- say please don't ever write for nothing because it really...
1: Yeah, you want to put value on that. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. And even if it's just a sort of gesture of, you know, I can't give you very much or anything, but it's just like putting a value. It's like accepting that what you have to give is, you know, something... Worth having, um, and it's also very hard once you've done something free to then say, "Oh, actually, by the way, no, you know, you, you, is you it okay if pay you pay me?" me? They'll yeah. be like, "No."
1: Yeah, yeah, that's. Very they, mean. not me. <laughs> um, I want to say a big thank you to Lisa Markwell for spending the evening with us. It's been so interesting to me, and I think for everyone here, I hope for everyone listening at home, a big thank you, please, for Lisa Markwell. <laughs>
0: That interview was part of our series, Who Run the World? Celebrating women in food. Thanks to our guest, Lisa Markwell. Thank you also to all the incredible women of Honey & Co., especially Louisa Cornford. She helps us with everything podcast. And to Miranda Hinckley, the producer. Drop us an email with your thoughts, feedbacks, questions. You can email us at podcasts at honeyandco.co.uk or you can find us on social media at Honey & Co. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get the rest of the series. See you next time.